turn on that radio and back here. The cops ain't likely to catch up with us, not tonight. So we can all be quiet and peaceable and listen to the music. All right. So uh, on the panel here, we have Lawson Owen with Proactive Dealer Solutions. We have Carrie Wise with True Car. We have Matt Woods with the Service Group. We have Rebecca Black, with, uh, formerly uh, GM, and now she is with, she's with RebeccaBlack.com. Kind of. <laughs> Rebecca yeah. Black. Yeah. But uh, she is uh, with us as well. And then I have co-host um, Alan Ram with Proactive Training Solutions. What's up, Alan? How's it going? <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited to be here. I can't exactly figure out my role. It's like you're Jimmy Kimmel, and I feel like that Guillermo guy. <laughs> I was a little nervous. I'll be honest with you. I was a little nervous. I, you, hey, here's here's what's great about Alan. He is totally unfiltered, right? It's good. Yeah, that, that's not great. That's not always great, <laughs> especially on a culture panel. Respect. You know what I mean? Like a cult, like culture panel. The best way to to have great dealership culture just to be unfiltered, right? Exactly. There <laughs> it you could go. Be. It could be. <laughs> So we're going to talk about dealership culture, and uh, we're going to go ahead and give you guys, if you're on Twitter, um, they're going to bring the phones to me if they see pretty cool question or comments. If you're listening, and, you, and as we get kind of get going in discussion, um, you know, using the hashtag AutoDealerLive and DD21, um, if you have a comment or question, they're going to bring the phone up, and uh, we see if we can get it, get it asked on air and, uh, and um, go from there. When How's the it? macaroni and cheese ball guy comes by, are we allowed to eat up here or no? <laughs> yeah, that man. would be Absolutely. awesome. I'm waiting for so the that's wine. Like, that's like torture having the macaroni and cheese ball guy walking by. There he is. Hey, right whoever there. can get the macaroni, the macaroni and cheese guy, cheese. Hey, I can't even. Get a hat, man. You want a hat? <laughs> <laughs> macaroni and cheese balls, be back you get a hat. Here in about 30 minutes. <laughs> oh, get a the plate? <laughs> All right, here. Thanks. We just ordered That's pretty cool. That is awesome. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. See, now I'm like your other co-host. We'll pass this over. Can That's I get a chicken right taco? There. Thank you, man. <laughs> Can we place some order? So first good question, when's a macaroni and cheese ball? Yeah, they're still hot. They're still hot. All right, so I'm going to start, man, with Matt Woods. You know, when I think of culture, I think of Matt Woods. I really do, man. He, he, this, this, one thing about Matt Woods with the service group is he is he's, he's a stud when it comes to training, and he can lay it down with the best of them. But the guy is a southern gentleman, I would say, man. That's the best way I would describe you. So, Matt, man, you've been in the dealership world for a while. Is 21, there a need? 21 what, years. Why do you think this culture – first of all, why is it such a buzzword, okay? And secondly, why does it need to be even more of a buzzword? I think it's a buzzword because it's – it's something that's come up, I would say, well, 21 years ago when I started in the car business, no one said anything about culture in a car dealership. It's something that's come from our current generation, as you pass the cheese balls around. Uh, it's something that's come from our current generation that is good, that's defining how we respond, how we react, how we do things internally. Uh, you made the comment about culture, and I can talk a little bit about what Service Group does. We have a a core definition internally of 12 facets that we adhere to as a company of how we operate, how we treat people, how we respond. And we're starting to see a shift 
in just the way that we act internally towards each other, the way we act towards customers, which was good already. But when you say, well, we're just great at the way we treat customers, or we're great at the way we treat each other internally, okay, define it. So what is it? When you have things that you can define, this is who we are, our culture stands for this, it makes it easier for other people to articulate. It makes it easier for your team to understand what's good behavior, what's bad behavior. So that's why that word culture, it can have an effect, a positive effect. I mean, Dave, you talked about it at Women in Automotive, and it was spot on. You have to define it. You have to put measures in place and measurables that help the rest of your staff stay on task with that. I think that my wife was – I think my wife actually was the reason if I was spot on because she, no, she carried the mailman I agree. She was the one that she, delivered she it. You just said, uh-huh. I was just like, yes, dear. Yes, baby. Keep going. on. <laughs> so, Rebecca, what do you think? Is Matt right? He's absolutely right. But I think to, to add on to that is not only do you need to know what it is and have it written down and train on it, mm-hmm. your whole staff has to be – has to have that buy-in for it. Your company has to have the buy-in. And if – you aren't implementing it and holding people accountable to it, it kind of defeats the purpose of even having it. So you have to not only have it, you have to take it that step further to make it a unacceptable answer to say, I didn't do it this way because X, Y, and Z. It just has to come and be automatic and you have to make sure that everyone knows it, is trained on it, and is held accountable from it from all the way up to your GMs, all the way down to your lot porters. It's just the way it has to be. It makes it easy to enforce behavior or hold people accountable when it's been clearly defined. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is how we treat customers. This is how we act internally. It just makes it easier to hold everyone accountable. Exactly. No one can say, I didn't know. What do you think, Alan? Man, you, you've been in this, in this business for a while. I mean, I thought I got to ask the questions today. Well, I was just trying to help you out. I didn't know. No, it, it's interesting. And, and one of the things when you do... Yeah, I remember selling cars, being in retail, and you know, you you have that perspective of being at one dealership, and now going into a lot of different dealerships. And I'm going to ask Carrie this, mm-hmm. Carrie, when you go into different dealerships, and and Owen, same thing, you can feel volume, you can feel a place where things are happening, where they have a good culture, can't you? And that isn't that something tangible to you? Absolutely, absolutely. And and, and going into dealerships, I think. I think one of the things that stands out for me is that culture isn't a lifetime thing that you set. It changes. And it changes with your customer. I think TrueCar knows a lot about that um, in, in having to change a culture based on something that wasn't working. Um, and I think in the dealership world, it's the same thing. That you may set a culture that worked five years ago, maybe worked even two years ago, and that culture may need to shift. So I think there's one part of it setting that culture, and then it's evaluating that culture. Is that culture still working for you? Is it still working for your customer? Hey, Carrie, I have a follow-up to that, too. I mean, um, is, it, is, it, is it strictly holding accountable? You know, we always look at accountability sometimes as maybe, you know, the measure that's missing. But what about, what about rewarding, you know, good behavior? What about oh, rewarding? Absol- oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think the reward's almost more important than, 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 than the accountability or the punishment in some ways. <laughs> because if, if, the, if the people that you're, you're hiring that are, are, are falling into that culture aren't being rewarded, then, then, then why, why do that? Why go out of the way? Why should your employee go out of the way to, to, to follow your culture when there really isn't anything in, there, in it for them? Mm-hmm. Mm. That awesome. answer was worthy of a macaroni and cheese ball. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. They're pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Lawson, you want to chime in on that, man? Uh, yeah, I think that, um, you know, the, 
the thing that I see out there is this dealerships that have a purposeful and intentional culture, right? It's, it's not by default, it's by design. That they purposefully decide who they are and who they want to be and what they have uh, as, as a standard of, of behavior and performance, not only for themselves, but obviously for all of their employees. And then that is projected through uh, to the consumer. And I think when that culture is defined and consistently and positively reinforced, it can change the whole dynamic of the organization. Regrettably, what a lot of organizations do is they, vi they visit it one time when they first hire people. They'll have culture training, but they won't consistently um, revisit it quarterly or monthly. And so it's really not something that's in ingrained into the, into the, uh, um, the um, business. It's just something that they talk about. And the, and the, the ideal objective is to make it what we do every day without thought, without consideration, because it's who we are. And again, the goal of the intent to is, is to enhance that customer experience. And when we do that, not only are we going to have happy customers, but we're going to have happy employees. And a happy employee will always give you a high level of customer service to your clients. That's good. Matt, why do you think that? I mean, Lawson just said, you know, a lot of times dealers are, you know, in the business, a lot of times we, not just dealers, but company owners, you know, we're short-sighted maybe. We started off, we have good intentions, but we don't finish it. Why do you think the, what do you think the biggest reason we don't follow through on that? I mean... Well, as dealers, the further the further away you get from the showroom floor, because a lot of dealers they started off selling cars or in the in fixed stops. The further away you get from the showroom floor, you have a tendency to believe, well, my principles that I believe in, they're still doing them. When if it's not communicated consistently, you you have no verification that it's being done. I I equate culture a lot of times to what happens at home, because as, as a business owner, a parent. You can say, well, we don't really talk about those things. Whether you think you have a culture or not, you have one. You just may not have defined it. And defining and enforcing culture, unfortunately, is a lot of times like being a parent. And at work, we think, I don't want to be their mom. I don't want to be their dad. But then you got to ask the question, well, what kind of training did they get when they were growing up? Were they taught be courteous? Were they taught speak straight? Were they taught you know, create a tone of friendliness with your customers or just with your friends? So that's why I think a lot of times we don't, as managers, we don't believe that we're we need to act like a parent when we should. Sometimes just guiding, giving boundaries. But then as business owners, as we get higher up the food chain, we tend to think everyone else is already doing it. I made a comment one time to a dealer, your people need to know that you came from the wash bay 35 years ago. They need to know because you may have someone in the wash bay who thinks, well, hey, if he can do it, I can do it. If, if she can start off selling cars and be a dealer 20 years, I can do it. And it's the communication that keeps that culture going throughout the business. It brings a fire. Yeah, what, what brings some fire to this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, what Matt said was very interesting. Whether you can define your culture or not, you've, you've got a culture. And then, let, let's face it, there are good dealerships out there and there are bad dealerships out there. And... I talk about the fact that I got lucky years ago. How many, how many people end up at the wrong dealership? And we've all talked about, you know, hey, I'm, I'm in the car business. You get in this conversation with people, and they'll say, oh, I, yeah, I sold the car. I did that for like three months. It sucked. And then, oh, yeah, where'd you work? And you talk to them about it and come to find out that they, this is a good person who had all the potential in the world that ended up at the wrong dealership with the wrong culture, where they didn't train them. All they did was yell at them, browbeat them, hey, go sell a car or else you're out of here. And, you know, I, I got lucky. I, I consider myself fortunate. I ended up at a dealership in 1985 
And, you know, they train the heck out of me. I, I've got managers I still keep in touch with who are great managers. They invested in me. But how many people wash out of this business that you know would have been good if they had ended up at the right dealership? So it's actually an obligation to give your people the right culture under which to work. It's somewhat carry like a pledge. I said it's somewhat kind of like a pledge, not just an obligation. Absolutely. The, ple- the pledge is a new pledge. culture being defined. A pledge. A pledge is kind of sticking in. But you know what? Actually, I'm not going to take credit. My wife texts me in. She's really good like that. She said to it, I'm going to put this to you, Carrie. To establish culture, she said you have to first set core values that don't change. Culture changes with times, but the established core value should be the thread that ties the old to the new. Now, Did if I would have said that, you guys I had to give her credit because you guys would have knew that wouldn't have been, I couldn't, that wasn't me. No, I, I, I agree with that. I think that there, there is that, that string that always goes throughout, that, that, that always carries on and that a culture may shift. I mean, in, in our case, we had to change a complete culture. I mean, mm-hmm. there are times where a culture doesn't work for your customer. Um, and and as, t- as the customer changes, and I think when you look at the dealership world, you know, the market, the customer continues to evolve. Yeah. And it's causing, it, it, it's challenging some dealers to have to shift their culture to accommodate not only serving that customer, but also hiring a new type of salesperson that's coming in yeah. and adjusting your culture so you attract the best talent. So it's, it, it can be a challenge. It's good. What we, do you think? Yeah. we talked about that a few weeks ago when I was on your show. We talked about hiring talent and hiring mm-hmm. millennials and all those kind of things and the flexible work schedules and, and, and just having a different um, employee-employer relationship with your staff. So it, it's, it's not the way it was 5, 10, 20 years ago. It's a new, it's a new world, and the culture is changing. The, the boundaries are changing, the workplace. I mean, how, how, 10 years ago, you couldn't tweet your customers. You could, I mean, you probably could, but it's not as common as it is now. Texting wasn't as common as it is now. Um, and so I think that in order for the culture to really ch- change and embrace it, I mean, you have to have a, someone at the top that's saying, these are our expectations. This is how we're going to run our business. You know, like Matt said, it's like, you know, here's how we're going to train everybody. Here's how we're going to how, how we're going to flush it down the not flush it down. That's probably not the flush it, flush yeah. it down, I guess. Flush, sort of flush, flush it. it I don't know. Um, but, you know, being able to make sure that everybody's on the same page and rewarding and holding them accountable. It's a whole different ball game. But if you do it in baby steps and you take the time to get your employees input, I think that that definitely helps too when you are thinking about the, these kinds, because otherwise your employees are going to set your culture, your managers are going to set your cultures, and then your employee, and then your customers are going to write about them online, <laughs> whether they're good or bad. Matt, I'm going to ask Matt, Matt Lasko had a question. Go ahead. Yeah, I think, I think you know, so he, he brought up the fact that you know, he saw TrueCar in the good and the bad days and, and our culture, you know, changing our culture, we're changing a culture with some of the same people. But the leadership is the, is the starting point. And, and yeah. on day one, you know, our leader, in, in the case of Chip Perry, laid out, the dealer is our customer. For those who aren't aware of that in this company, let's make that very yeah. clear. Yeah. And we need to make our company a place where dealers want to do business. That one statement, and he said something a little different than that, but that one statement redefined the whole entire culture and how people behaved within the company. All because if you didn't down. fit into that, yeah you weren't going to make it in the company anymore. 
Um, so I think I think at a you know just kind of translating it to a dealership, it's the same thing. I think you were kind of touching on well, yeah. so without that, leadership yeah. in that definition, the you know, people can't carry that through. That statement, if I listen to that statement, you could take that two ways. I choose to take it the way I think it's intended. You can take that statement. Hey, if you're not going to line up, then you can't be here. But the reality is, people are looking for culture. People Absolutely. are looking for a purpose, and that's the thing. I think that you know if, if they don't have that, then there's chaos. You know, there's there's no direction, there's no vision. So I think that that's not only that that's that's it's a positive. It's, yeah, it's something that people want, and and I think it's this way. If if you can't line up, then not only can you not be here, but you probably don't want to be anyway. You know, because you're you're not you're not on board. You know, and I think that uh, culture does that, and I think that I, I you know we we always talk about like Rebecca said when we had you guys. Uh, show a few weeks ago, we talked about millennials and that word. You know, people almost hate hearing that word. I think millennials hate hearing that word. But um, you we know, do. it's imagine adding the word shock to the end of culture. If you, if you, if you had no ability to transition somebody in the millennial generation into a dealership, they would come into what was an old school dealership and absolutely just probably pass out. You know, I mean, it would it would not even work. You, you know what I'm saying? No, I, I absolutely agree. Here I am asking yeah. you questions again. Well, that, yeah, I can't they help are it. No, <laughs> but it's interesting. There are a number of different conversations. You know, culture, there are a number of different levels that we can discuss culture. When you walk into a dealership, and today when I was doing my presentation, I had a picture of a dealership and six people standing in front of that dealership. One smoking cigarette, two of them talking about whatever, you know, just standing around outside doing nothing. What does that say about a dealership's culture when you have five salespeople standing around outside with their thumb up their ass doing absolutely nothing, talking about what? The Olympics and your pay plan sucks. And you've got a manager sitting inside hoping someone brings him or her a deal today. What does that say? Is that, is that a productive culture? I, I think Alan brings up a really, really good point. This is what I got out, I got out of what you just said. Uh, is that it's not what you say, it's what you do. Right. And that you could put a mural on the wall to define what your culture is, but those guys smoking outside or whatever you just said <laughs> says more about what the dealer is than anything you ever say. Yeah, you can, you can you say can smoking say, outside like it's negative because it's yeah. not good for <laughs> what you. Do you, Lawson, what do you Sorry, think? Arnold. No judgment on that. Lawson, what do you say? What do you uh, say to that? You know, I, I, I agree with Alan. Um, you know, I think... Culture is kind of like character. What are you doing when no one's looking, right? And so the culture is something that's ingrained into the activities and the behaviors of your people. Um, you know, and I think that the, the picture that Alan was referencing, everybody's seen it. Everybody, if you've spent any time in a dealership, you've seen that. If you've bought a car, you've seen that. And it sends a negative, it has a negative connotation to the consumer. And, and I think the first thing we have to do is, you know, it comes down to leadership, comes down to vision. When you have leadership and vision, it brings clarity. And with that clarity, things become simple. It's understood. And it's easier to follow that action plan or that game plan or that strategy when there is the leadership division and brings clarity to the situation. And, and you know, as he talks about leadership at these dealerships, that's somewhere that you tend to see a void as well. It's, you know, they got, surrender got, their dealership. They're, they yeah. surrender their business to their salespeople or middle managers. Oh, absolutely. That's like when the tail wags the dog, right? Right. It, it's... You look at how people become managers in the automotive industry. How does somebody become a manager? How did, you know, how did most people here, who here is a manager? They outsell everyone else. Sell a bunch of cars. Who's a, who's a manager? Except me. 
Come on, somebody's a manager. Is. Who is? Okay, how'd you become a manager? Top salesperson. See, that's how it happened for me. One day I was like one of the top couple guys on the board at the Nissan dealership. I was selling a lot of cars and the general sales manager came up to me and said, hey, we're going to be blowing out your team later. We want to give you his team. So they gave me, they gave me, my, my only question was, do I get a demo back then? And once we concluded, I did. Then I said, yes, I'll do it. But I'm pretty sure it wasn't because of my management skill. They gave me a manager job because I sold a lot of cars. That's kind of like making the, making the best salesperson a manager is kind of the equivalent of, of making the best football player on the team the coach. They, it's a completely different skill set. So when you look at a lot of, the, a lot of the, the issues we have in the automotive industry, a lot of them start with the fact that we don't really train our managers how to manage. Yeah. Would, you, would you agree with that, Matt? I, I absolutely I, I asked Matt because Matt, he was shaking his head the hardest, so I knew he'd agree with me. Okay, yes. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, absolutely. We, we, have to, we have to give them the tools to get to the next level. I mean, just because someone sells the most cars, that doesn't mean they're the most capable manager. That doesn't mean they're the most capable leader. But if there's training that goes into it, if they can see, okay, here's how I become a successful manager – then a culture can shift. Then something happens on the showroom floor because culture can change. You, you can shift a culture. You talked about it, True Car, which has been a, a case study in how to shift that, and it's been great. I think of the General Motors plant in Fremont, California in the 80s, NUMI, that had the worst quality in the 70s, 80s. If you read any of the stories about that plant, you could buy drugs on the assembly line. You could buy sex on the assembly line. I can say sex because you said ass. Um, so you could buy any of that stuff. Their, their culture of that General Motors plant was awful. They shut it down, teamed up with Toyota, and without going through the entire story, they went through an immense amount of training. The majority of the people they hired back were the same people that worked for General Motors. And their quality and the culture of that plant was through the roof. So you can change it, but there's got to be a defined line that says, okay, we're going to do this. So if you take a, a top salesman and move him into the sales desk and just say, okay, just keep doing things the way you were doing it. Well, a sales manager is not hired to sell cars. A sales manager is hired to lead a team of people who sell cars. So there has to be a definitive line of, okay, here's how we're going to train the rest of the staff to do what you were doing when you were selling cars. But you, it, it's got to be trained. It's got to be taught. And I, I, I think, what, sorry, just to add on to what you were saying about kind of drawing that line of here's our culture, it's also getting your people to really buy into it. And oh, I think, yeah. David, that's what you were kind of maybe touching on a little earlier is that it's one thing to define it. In, in our case, our leader defined the culture. But it's another thing to get your people to buy into it to understand not only what's in it for them, but how is it going to make our company more successful? And if they don't buy in, let's talk That's about another the, story. You, you, you got to move on with dignity. Right. Bye. Right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you've got to dismiss if, with dignity. If you if you think about it, one of the, one of the reasons that so stands out so much to me is because we spend so much time of our lives at work. I mean, we sleep. Yeah. You know, and then we work, and, and, and that's the, those are the you know work is a lot. So I mean, if you're going to do that, I mean, I want to I want to be somewhere where I want to be. I want to be somewhere where I believe, and I think culture is, is a big deal. So the buy-in, like like uh, Carrie said, is is huge, and um, you know, so I mean, you're you're a big proponent of that. I know Rebecca, that's well. I also am one that 
did not was not a car salesman and became a general salesman. Yeah, but you were so a businesswoman. I, I was a business that. owner right. and a manager for 15 years, and I came in with zero car industry experience, zero sales experience, and took on the team and changed the culture in our dealership. Mind you, we were a small dealership. There's only 12 or 13 of us. But I still was able to be that change agent, which I think is what you were saying yeah. is you, something has to propel a change and someone has to be that change agent to say, this is unacceptable. This is how we're going to move forward. And then, you know, I think being open to hiring people outside of the car industry, which is something else we talked about a few weeks ago on one of our, your other shows that I was a guest on is maybe, you know, looking outside of the industry to hire managers, looking outside of the industry to hire key players in the dealerships to say, okay, well, let's give someone else a shot and see if they can come in, learn the business, and actually do the management type jobs, the leadership roles, and see what happens. That's a good point. If If I was in a military town, I would be at base separations once a month trying to recruit people that were getting out of the military because let's face it if somebody's face down the taliban in afghanistan they're not going to be afraid to go tell somebody what their trade's worth (laughs) (laughs) and and you get some you get some great people that way some some fantastic people i remember when i was getting out of the marine corps you'd go to these base separations briefs and they'd have career planners talking to you who didn't really want to talk to you anyway and I hooked up with base separations at Camp Pendleton, and I'd go up there once a month, and I'd speak at their briefings about how I'd come out of the Marine Corps, and uh, you know now I'm successful selling cars. And I used to bring at least one good people person down from Camp Pendleton every time I did that. And and any place where there's a military base, I'd be looking for those people before I was looking for millennials. And by the way, were you waiting for me to say ass so you could say sex? <laughs> is that what you said? You could say yeah. sex anyway. He That's has, not okay. a bad he word. He has it on his notepad. I, well, but also, said, also have three other words written down I'm waiting for you to say. No, so no trigger other sex words. Sex is a, you, can, you can say anything that they used to say. <laughs> they can say on primetime, you can say. Okay, hey. Mom, he said I could say it. <laughs> so uh, we, we have a few more minutes here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to basically give you guys, Lawson, I'm going to start with you. Just take, take two or three minutes, man. I mean, just, just really share with the guys that are listening here. You know, um, some of your closing thoughts, man. Just take, just take your time. We're not in a hurry, but just take two or three minutes and just. Sure. So I think that obviously creating a culture, uh, like we said, it, it starts at the top. It starts with the dealer bringing clarity and then getting, um, you know, conformity and compliance from the rest of the staff. I think one of the biggest challenges, though, we talked about change. The reason there isn't, that change is so difficult is because I think most organizations are content. And mm-hmm. when, when you're content, change won't occur. And so we have to raise our standards. We have to have a higher expectation, not only of our people, uh, but of ourselves. And I think when you, when you clarify that with vision, with leadership, then the change will come because you'll be, un- you'll be, you're not prepared to tolerate the current standard of activity or performance or behaviors. Um, and again, that bleeds into um, the client. They see that. And you can walk into a dealership, for those of us who spend a lot of time in dealerships, I can just stand in a showroom and I can tell you, I feel it. I feel the tension. I feel the, yeah. the, the energy, whether it be positive or negative. And I think that when you have a culture that is defined as, <coughs> which is customer-centric, that's going to bleed through to the people and that's going to bleed through to the consumer. And when that happens, people are going to want to do business with you. And at the end of the day, that's the whole point of the exercise here, right? Is how do we sell or service more cars? How do we generate more revenue? And it starts with leadership vision and a culture that is customer-centric. Outstanding, man. Well, I appreciate you uh, being on the panel. Thank, Thank you. you for everything. And now, uh, Carrie, we're going to go to you and just 
Give us so, your input. So I think it really boils down to just asking yourself some questions. And, and one is, is your culture working for your customer? Right? Question number one, is it working for your customers? Is your culture attracting the best of the best? Um, and, and ultimately, is it helping you in terms of your ROI and your business? If you can't say yes to all three of those, then you've got to reevaluate your culture. It has to be a deliberate process. It can't be an accident because I think as we mentioned up here, uh, if you don't have a defined culture, there is a culture. It's probably not the one you want working for you, though. So I think it's just taking a step back and understanding who you want to be um, and at a leadership level, making sure to get buy-in from your people and spread that throughout the organization, and people will kind of fall in line from there. Outstanding. Rebecca Black. I love what you just said about buy-in because it's so important. Otherwise, people feel like you're just forcing more stuff down their throat and saying, now we're doing this, now we're going to do that. Mm -hmm. Like Lisa Copeland said in the keynote, she's like, I, when I went to conferences, I'd come back and my employees were like, oh my gosh, now what is she, she going to make us do, you know, when I get back. But, you know, having their buy-in is so important, but there's such a, there's such a great, um, this is such a great time for dealerships to really be able to stand out in this area and to take the time now to do it so that then when you, you can't get away with it anymore, which is going to be soon, that's the reality of this. There's too much access to information. The customers are sharing their experiences already online, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent. And so there's going to come a time where if you don't embrace this kind of culture, company, um, customer-centric experience that you're just, it's not going to work for you. So, you know, there's, this is such a great time in, in any industry, but this industry in particular to really, how do you make people want to buy cars from you? How do you make them want to keep coming back? Like if I never would want someone to leave my dealership that was like questioning whether or not they should have signed on the dotted line. I want everyone to be smiling, happy, driving off of our lot. So for me, this is a great opportunity for for people to look at it. And hiring, I'm a huge proponent for this since I am one that came from outside of the industry. Hire from outside of the industry and allow people who have not been in the industry for 20, 10, 20, 30 years to come in with a fresh eye and see how they've done it in other industries, other businesses, other companies to say, hey, here's an idea and things that maybe we're just not thinking about because we're so ingrained in our own daily activities, our own businesses and our own culture to say, Oh, that's a great idea. Town and country Toyota, which is a Sonic store in Charlotte is a good example of a, of a place that changed their culture. They went to a one price selling model. And I'm not saying that's the Holy grail. I'm not saying sticking to the traditional models, the Holy grail. They tried something that worked for them. And it took nine months to a year to shift that because they began to reevaluate their current environment. And it's something I wrote down. You have to constantly reevaluate your current environment, your current culture, if we're using that word. And they realized, okay, we can do something different. And they went outside the auto industry to find people. That's not to say that the people in the auto industry aren't good enough. It's just recognizing that we can find good people in all places. So the first part of that is reevaluate your current environment on a consistent basis. Doesn't mean every day you send out a survey monkey. It just means six months, every year, reevaluate that. And the second part is begin with the end in mind. If If you think you need to change something, well, what do you want to change it to? Don't just say, well, let's just change. I mean, just change for what? So begin with the end in mind. That's a simple philosophy, but begin with the end in mind and check your current environment 
to kind of gauge that. Survey your own employees. Survey your own customers and find out what's working. And last but not least, Carrie said this earlier, you can say what's important to you, but if you'll show me your checkbook and your calendar, I'll tell you what's important to you. So use that to redefine, okay, what's really important to us. I'm going to give Alan Ram the last word. You know, it's, and again, I think one of the best educations I've had in the automotive industry is there's been the ability to work, the privilege to work with so many different dealerships in so many different markets. And, you know, I, if I was a dealer today, I'd go out to the best dealerships. Who, who are some of the best dealerships in the country? We got, you know, Matt Lasko has a fantastic culture at his dealership. You know, deal, I saw Herb Prantle walking around earlier from Reichardt, the used car factory. You can walk into that dealership, and it's, if it's empty, you can still feel it. You can still feel the energy at these dealerships. And I would, you know, I would avail myself to, to some of these better dealerships in the industry. Go and see what they're doing. And you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Do what they're doing. That's, that was kind of an awkward ending, huh? Do what they're doing. I ran out of stuff there. And by the Cheese way, Miss... No, they, these, these last two were like zombie cheese balls. There was nothing <laughs> in them. Where's the cheese ball guy? It's just a ball. Where's the, where's the cheese ball CSI survey? <laughs> well, guys, thank you. Uh, thanks so much for, uh, for joining me on this panel. Let's give it up for Lawson Owen, Carrie Wise, Rebecca Black, and Matt Woods, and Alan Ram. Come on, Alan Ram. Thank you. With rising competition and shrinking profit margins, you need every resource available to help you succeed. TrueCar has the ability to be the most powerful tool in your arsenal. Go with the pros who know. Your dealership wouldn't trust its vehicles in the hands of an uncertified technician. So why trust its finances with accounting firms that don't know your business? Rosenfield & Company knows the automotive industry and has been serving dealerships like yours for over 20 years. We take pride in helping our clients grow from single point stores to some of the largest dealer groups in the country. We are more than just your accountants. Our team can guide you through mergers and acquisitions, operational reviews, succession planning, and more. Visit us on the web for more information at www.rosenfieldandco.com. Jason Rice from LotPop, and let me tell you what we do to help dealerships increase used car sales 20 to 30 percent in gross and volume. Three areas we focus on, trend reports, we look at weekly trends that no one else is trending to make adjustments on our inventory. Two is we do weekly review calls to review those trends, but also we dig through every car that needs to be price adjusted to increase the searches. And three, we do a virtual lot walk, make sure every car is standing tall in line and make sure we don't have bad photos like these. Check out our website, lotpop.com our blog at AutomotiveRevolution.com and our weekly video tips at IncreasedTurn.com. Thanks. Hello, I'm Alan Ram, president and founder of Alan Ram's Proactive Training Solutions. Let's face it, good managers are defined not by what they do when they have a showroom full of customers, but more by what they do when there are no customers in the showroom. In 2015, whether you like it or not, the car business is all about conversion of opportunities and driving traffic. 
All those great closers and desk people are not doing you a whole lot of good if your dealership is not converting effectively on the telephone and internet. As an owner or dealer, when you see five salespeople standing by the front door doing nothing, don't kid yourself, your dealership is not being effectively managed. Management by Fire is a two and a half day intensive course conducted entirely by me that teaches managers how to effectively manage in today's automotive industry. Simple processes for driving high quality traffic. For more information on upcoming events, please call my team at 866-996-4665. Once again, 866-996-4665. Thank you. Service Group has over 40 years of experience empowering dealerships to grow profits, develop personnel, and provide their customers with a high level of service. We offer high quality products, world-class servicing, and innovative training and technology. Meet our team, first class trainers, the best account managers, and an executive team that's second to none. This is your Service Group team. We look forward to giving your people the power to I'm excited about the future of TrueCar, and I hope you are too. As we evolve our product and service, we'll keep listening to dealers and making even more enhancements based on your ongoing feedback. All right, guys, thank you for coming to the Auto Dealer Live Human Capital panel. So what's human capital? Basically, I just, I just got this from my good friend Adam Robinson here with Hireology. It is your people strategies. So I'm going to say it my way. Is it okay? Do you suck with people or are you good with people? You better learn how to be good with them, right? That's right. He, Adam just told yes. me something. And uh, let me introduce the panel first. We have Matt Keenig. We have Craig Lockhart. We have Candace Crane and Adam Robinson. And I'll let them introduce themselves at the end and, and give out where they're from. And then I'm also joined by my good friend, uh, helping me host today, Frank Lopes. Yes. And uh, Frank, I was talking to Adam, mm -hmm. and uh, he, he was just telling me before the panel that um, over the last couple of years, he's watched this discussion grow where I think two years ago, 12 people or so were in, his, were in a class, and uh, most recently 90. And then just basically watching dealers become more interested in how to deal with, attract people. And, and, and I'm going to start off by just saying this, man. This is a big deal because I hate hiring, not because I hate, I love people. And I like having good people and the right people. But I get it wrong more often than I get it right, Frank. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem, man. I think that I'm not alone in that conversation. So dealers need to get human capital right, don't they? Absolutely. I think every dealer now, if they didn't realize it before, I think they're realizing it now that the best piece of capital that they have is their staff. Okay. I think they're realizing that it's worth more than their real estate, their franchise, anything like that. The people that they have is what really drives the business and what makes the real money. 
So I think this is a fantastic topic. I think this is a great discussion that we should be pushing forward on a constant basis. Awesome. Well, I'm going to start with Candace Crane then and get it started out. Candace, so, okay, we have, this is digital dealer. People come here and a lot of times, and, and, and rightly so, they go, what's the latest technology? What's the latest product? What's the latest, you know, what, what, what are the dealers that are successful doing? So they go around, they check out all these great vendors, and, and they listen to all the great workshops to try to find out what to buy. Mm -hmm. And they don't have a problem spending money on what to buy. So let's talk about, you, bite the right, you buy the right product, but you have the wrong people. Is that something that's, that's, that plagues not only dealerships, but businesses all over, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it plays a lot right now as our sales process is evolving and changing. We have to create a more transparent, fluid uh, customer experience. And that impacts the people that you have on the front lines and how you pay them and how you uh, incentivize them and, and reward them. So uh, installing the, the new technology is great, but if you don't have the right people strategy behind it, it's not going to work. Awesome. <clears throat> Um, and, and let's do it this way, guys, because rather than because this is this show is going to be it's live here. This is what matters and we're edit it and use it. And so you guys, anytime you hear a comment, you guys want to want to chime in, <coughs> Matt, um, you guys just go ahead and do so. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? And so so I'm going to give you guys the floor and then me, Frank and I are just trying to get a question in edgewise. What do you yeah. say, Frank? Let's do it. All right, Matt. Listen, let's not kid ourselves. You know, dealerships have a turnover problem, right? And it's not a turnover problem. It's a I hire like shit problem. And that's what's happening every single day in dealerships. And the reason is now that they have digital tools, they go online. So they get a resume. They read it. We all know that's bullshit, right? Because you're not going to put like the dealer that you work for that hated you, the three that fired you. You put all the like ones where you have numbers that you sort of still have. And then they go look at your Facebook page or whatever. And then they go, yeah, that looks like a good candidate. And then they have someone else talk to them and interview them at the dealership. But there's not, nobody really wants to get to know a person anymore. Like back in the day, we had five different people interviewing someone. They asked them the exact same questions in different order. Like we went through to make sure that we knew who we were bringing on the team. Not just because we didn't want to have a bad thing for the dealership, but because we were taught to take ownership of that person's success, right? right. So if you hire bad, if you hire poorly, yeah. you're not just screwing your dealership over, you're screwing over that person, their spouse, their children, their livelihood. I think the biggest reason we have hiring problems is because we don't give a shit about people. Mm. We look at them, we monetize people. I wanna bring you in, how much money are you gonna make me? Not, can I groom you, can I teach you? Can I turn you into somebody who can be a wildly successful human being? We have to do that first. Mm. Right, to add on, dovetail what Matt said and what Candace said, we have to, and to steal a word that I love from Lisa, my friend Lisa Copeland, we have to be intentional now in our hiring. We have to be intentional in being more, having a more diverse sales staff like Candace was talking about. There's so much technology, but somebody's got to turn the machine on and know how to use it. And w one way to do it, and, 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 and I, I think we could all agree on this, we use a hook when we run ads uh, to get college grads who are typically millennials. More women graduate from college than men. True. So one, only 17% of these people, graduates, have jobs when they graduate from school. That leaves us a, a, an opportunity of 83% of the college grads available to us. That's an awesome opportunity for the people that you talked about that we need, that I agree with 100%. But one thing that they all have in common 
is an average of $32,800 in student loan debt. So in your Help Wanted ad, if you want women salespeople, and you should, think about it. Eliminating half the talent pool available by not hiring women in your stores is stupid. So we need more. So you can get a millennial, you can get a female or a male, you get a college grad, which isn't horrible. They all have student loan problems. So student loan reimbursement program and your help wanted ad. Put it into their pay plan. That's their biggest fear. They would rather go do public speaking, but that student loan, student loan just freaks them out. Freaks them out. So let's as dealers take care of it. You put it in their, you put it in their pay plan. You can bury that somewhere. It's all a matter of percentages anyway. And you get a better quality person. Be intentional. You know, and part of that too, I think, and I, it, I just pulled up a Help Wanted ad, by the way, like local dealers hiring in Las Vegas. And here's, here's where the problem begins. just want to share this with you because it's so critical, right? Dealer unnamed, seeking optimistic, energetic, sales-driven associate. Our sales team sells consultative approach, blah, blah, blah. Here's where it gets fun. Unlimited growth and promotion opportunities. How many times do you put that in your ad and how many leadership roles are there in the store? Unlimited growth opportunity. Right now we have a GM, a GSM, and two sales managers. Unless these fuckers die, you're not getting promoted. Oh. It's not going to happen. You said the F word. I, I said suckers. I just, I'm hoarse. Okay. <laughs> so the problem is we're lying to them before they start. And by the way, part of this ad also says to, to have your own business. That's a lie. If I leave, you lock me out of the CRM. You don't let me take them with right? So we're lying to them before they come in and then we lie to them in the interview and then they get hired and we wonder why they're pissed. It's because you're a liar. Tell All right. the truth in your ad. Sometimes we suck to work for but you'll make a shitload of money. If that's well, how your yeah, store but unless works, money is in the motivator. It. Unless money is in the motivator. So I'm going right, to challenge you on that. nobody works for free. Come on. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not going to sleep on the sidewalk and drive a fucking Millennials, bus. millennials it, is, it has been proven that millennials are not as money motivated as other generations. So you can, I agree with what you're saying, that we are lying to our candidates, saying that there is unlimited potential. So let's, let's put some truth behind that. Yep. Put in an organizational structure that allows there to be upward growth grow the scope of the role so that they can begin taking on more responsibility and make the role more challenging for them. So I'm not necessarily disagreeing, but I, I will say I would caution the audience to think that every generation is motivated by money because that's certainly not the case of this generation. And I would argue that it's also not the case for, for women in comparison to men. Right. What, what, what we're Candace, talking about oh. here is, is a, excuse me, a funda oh. fundamental reevaluation of how we pay people in this business. This is not tinker with words, although that helps. Right? This is rethink how we pay people to work in a retail store. How, what do we pay them? What kind of hours do we offer? What is the career path? This is more than just a little bit of an adjustment. We as an industry have to rethink how we do it because people are 70% of our gross profit walking around every day, walking out the door. And it's the only thing you really have control over in this business anymore. You can't control interest rates. You can't control your manufacturer. You can't control the CFPB. You can't control millennials. The only thing you can control is who you put on your payroll. That's it. You have 100% control over who you put on your payroll, and most of us have a better process for buying office supplies. Adam, let me ask you a question. Do you think the people that work in dealerships now, do you think that they're paid fairly, or do you think they're underpaid? Uh, it, it, the answer is it depends, right? If you, if you as an individual believe you're paid fairly, then you're paid fairly is really how I look at it. But for the business owner, 
what kind of production am I getting for my investment? If I can get better production, and Candace knows all of the detail on this because she's actually built this program. If I can get better production on a base pay plan where I'm paying someone 15 bucks an hour and $500 a month if the team hits the number, if I can get twice the production and pay the person 30% less and they're happier and stay longer, what's the problem? It's not a pay issue. The whole thing needs to be rethought. Right. If I may, you can look at surveys from 50 years ago, and they all say the same thing. Feeling of being in on things. Appreciation for effort and job well done. Money's always been fourth or fifth. So, and I think, and I know, you know, Candace, and we're advocates of, of teams. Correct. And teams, team leaders. Team models, That's yeah. a career path. And again, not to, I don't mean to harp on women, but... One of the reasons women don't come into the car business is because they don't, they don't have the executive position to say, okay, well, that's where I can end up, right? But this, with teams and team leaders, you have a career path to go to. Yeah, and absolutely. Money's important. There's no question about it. But like you said, if they're happy and we can reduce it and they stay, well, that's awesome. Let me let me ask this question yeah. too, because this kind of came up in our in our uh, in our show a couple months ago that kind of led True. to this panel. Matt, I asked this for you. We talk a lot about millennials, and you know, there's dealers that are listening out here. There's millennials that are listening. Uh, we made too much. I mean, you know, somebody said, and I and I agree that you know, when I was 20 years old, I wasn't a millennial uh, millennial, obviously, but I was 20. You know what I mean? I I, I you know, I I felt like some of these labels that we put on millennials. So. Is it really a generation or is it really just an age? So have we put too much emphasis on that? And are there millennials, you know, in your opinion, that are out there that, hey, that are ready to really chase success? You know, you and I were talking about this before, David, and I'm so glad you brought it up because everybody goes like, well, we have to change everything we do for millennials. So here's the fact. Like Craig just said, 50 years ago, the things that mattered still matter. Treat me like I'm important, care about me, etc. But what's changed is this. Millennials opened up our eyes to a couple things. We can't lie to them and expect they can't just Google it and find out that you're full of it, right? Right? Because the technology changed. But the human being didn't change. The problem is we keep trying to put someone in a box. All they are is a freaking age group. But here's where the other problem comes in. The mindset that people are trying to, selling that all, trying to sell that all millennials they're all, either they're all slackers or they're all willing to work for pennies if you just give them a pat on the back. Listen, if somebody's a good quality candidate, I don't care if you're Josh who's in our booth, that by the way, the kid's 25 years old, used to be the bartender at our favorite local bar, love this kid, now works on our sales team, he's a monster. So many people came by the booth, mostly women because he's a good looking kid, right? <laughs> just kidding, sort of, not really. But the problem is this, we take millennials and we go, well, cool, since they're not used to making enough money and they're slackers, let's just not pay them much. Let's treat them like they're just a bunch of kids. And I see this happen over and over and it's like, stop. I don't care if somebody's 50 or 20, if they're solid, they're solid. If you train them right, give them the love they need, treat them like a good person, they can be an absolute great performer. So we don't need to interview differently, think differently. If we're going millennials need to be taken care of better and loved on better, Guess what? You should have been doing that shit to everybody else that works for you. It's not just because they're young. For God's sake, Frank Lopes obviously is just barely out of the millennial bracket, but you still want to love on him and treat him right. So the best thing you can do 
is stop focusing on millennials and start focusing on everybody as a human being and help bring them in, teach them right, and help set the stage for success. Well, we're talking about pay plans, and forget, forget the, the demographic. You're right. It's, just, it's, it's an age group and a point in time, and millennials will get married and have kids maybe, and then they'll be just like everybody else. Exactly. Right? And that's, that's the way that works. But pay plans are a risk-reward exercise, and people are wired to either like risk-reward or like less risk, less reward. So if I'm on a base pay plan, I should expect to make less because I'm taking less risk. And maybe I like that. Maybe I like the pay stability, which Candace's research shows is the number one thing people want, the pay stability, because they've got a student loan debt like Craig's talking about. If I have a high risk reward tolerance and you pay me on a full ratchet commission plan, you better not touch how much money I can make. I want to light the world on fire, but I chose to take a full ratchet commission job and That's I should right. not complain about it. That's All I'm right. suggesting is if you want to recruit at scale the incoming college graduate, the full commission plan is not the percentage play. Correct. They want the base pay. That's what By the way, Jen, Jen Briggs, I got to I got to say your tweet. That was a pretty cool tweet. I can say she's female, so I'm not going to get slack for this. She said Matt just called his guy the booth babe. That's what you just called he your is, guy. Right? He is booth candy. Booth candy. His name is Josh, by the way. He'll be here all day. <laughs> so and everybody's going to go check him out, right? Um, so, uh, <laughs> Candace. But, okay, so we hear that. Right? Basically, everybody is, is, is matters. Okay, I almost said something, something else that would have been controversial. <laughs> everybody matters, okay? So the deal is you still obviously you know, are, are, are focused a lot on millennials, and rightly so, you are one, and you're focused on, on the fact that they're not motivated by money. But let me ask you this. Are, is, that, is it just this generation? I can't really remember, but I mean, is it, is it, is it, or is it every person that maybe is getting into the job force at a young age that they don't really know to be motivated by money? I mean, kind of talk, talk well, about that well, for Well, I second. do believe that there are some generational um, values that happen. So mm -hmm. the baby boomers, uh, being a smaller generation, they didn't have to have a college degree to make $100,000 a year. There were a lot of opportunities. The economy was a lot stronger. So they were able to ride that wave of real estate or car sales or um, you know, any other high commission position and mortgage and be able to make over $100,000 a year. That's not the case today. You know, you can't, I mean, how many, how many opportunities outside of retail automotive can a recent college grad or even somebody who doesn't have a degree come in and think reasonably I'm going to be able to make $100,000? You know, they're very few and far between. So, um, you know, to me, it's, it's partially a recruiting problem. But in order to fix the recruiting problem, I think we have to fix the org design and the, the talent strategy that Adam was referring to. So, you know, we have diminishing margins. We've got volume turning the corner. Um, brand loyalty is diminishing. So we have to figure out a better way, a cheaper way to sell vehicles that is going to be advantageous for our employees and advantageous for the business owner. You know, they want to continue to make money. Our employees want to continue to have a good quality of life. So what does that look like? To me, it looks like a 40-hour work week. It looks like teams. It looks like a structured career path. It looks like broadening the scope of the role, empowering the frontline employees, stop hoarding the decision-making ability with the tower and the managers and give that decision-making ability back to the customer-facing employees who are going to be creating a better customer experience. So you can't solve the recruiting problem until you solve some of the org structure problems, in my opinion. That's good. You know, we talked a lot so far about recruiting, right, and a lot about millennials, but let's talk a little bit, Craig, what do you think is the best thing that we could do now because there's a huge talent pool, there's a huge pool that we have right now in dealerships, and not everybody that's in the dealership is bad. Not everybody's a zero. 
there's a lot of good talent that's still there. So for this, for the let's call it the seasoned guy, the seasoned automotive pro, who, as we both know, there's a lot of turnover. Guys jump from one dealership to another, right? What do you think is the one thing that dealers could do to hold on to that top talent, that real, that over the top, really, really good person? What could they do to hold on to them? Yeah. Okay. It, you know, it, wow. There's so many buzzwords that I'm starting to get sick of and first one that hit you in your culture you know it's like but i it's i don't think it's that complicated i think if 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 candace if if i'm the gm candace works for me and she's a top performer i'm not going to allow her to leave within reason i will love on her i will do everything within my power to make sure that she Almost whatever it takes, to, because it, they're so important. You're not going to get a, a better ROI on any dollar that you spend than your employees. There's just no better ROI. Craig, what about if I firebomb your evolution? Say it again. What about if I firebomb your evolution? What if I turn into an assassin and I just start saying, we're not, we're not changing. We're not going to change. We're going to continue to do business the way that we've always done business. Do you want the sacred cow? Yeah, I am the, the sacred cow. Are you going to save me? How many? Oh, how many? Oh, how many? Here, how many got uh, sacred uh, cows I, I, in the in the auto business out there that you guys know of? How many? He, how many know some sacred cows? He, Any he, of you guys? Here's what I think you. Here's what nope. I think you do. All right. If you've got that person and no, they're fighting no against the change, no one. I get look at, oh, Candace, do do this. <laughs> Give me three months. I'm going to take your last three years' earnings. I'm going to guarantee you you're not going to make a penny less. You, follow, you do exactly what I asked you to do in this new program. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you month by month over the last three years, you, if you make $600 less, I'll make up the difference. You give me 90 days. At the end of 90 days, let's take a look at it. I think you'll agree that this is going to make your job easier, better, and you're going to end up making more money. Fair enough? All right, Craig, I'll stay. <laughs> I'll I mean, stay, you know, Craig. Exactly Whatever. Thank you. you just, so, she just laid down for me. Okay. Thank you very much. Let me ask you. Let me ask this question too. So, okay, now we're not just talking about hiring people that are not in the business, but let's talk about the thing that I've seen in 20 years plus of of serving auto dealers. Okay, the talented people. It's so easy to leave and go across the street, and then when somebody that's a top salesperson goes across the street then they typically bring some of their buddies with them and it could dismantle a dealership. Or you have a situation where a general manager comes in, does a good job, you know, builds a process, puts, a, you know, in double sales or, or, or increases it substantially. And the owner doesn't know how to foster or manage that success. So then that falls apart. I mean, I, 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 as a business owner, I, I've jacked up and made some mistakes, but the, the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over and expect a different result. And I've seen it over and over and over again. So how, why does the car business have to be different? I mean, it's not a business that's flippant. I mean, it's a business. I mean, we all drive, right? That's just, that's just bothered, bothered me for years. I mean, Matt well, Keenig, man, or, or Adam, one of you guys. Well, I'll say this. Um, your dealership has a business model. Every dealer has a different business model, and people are a part of that business model. So what is your business model? Is your business model to hire new to the industry, under 25, 
pay them a base pay plan and tell them, you know what, in two years you're going to have marketable skills. Give me two years and I'm going to make sure you can get a job anywhere. Yeah. Maybe we'll have something, but being honest to Matt's point, maybe we won't and I'll never be happier than seeing you land somewhere and being successful. My business model is train them and let them fly. Yeah. Great. Cost benefit, that's my business model. Or my business model is, hey, I'm a large group or I'm acquisitive buying other stores. I'm going to create management opportunities. I'm going to pay people on a full commission pay plan and say, hey, give me two years. You can make a bunch of money. And if running a store in eight to 10 years is, is what's in it for you, I will show you how to get there. That's my business model. Well, I want to buy in. in some I, I want to retain people. But dealers have to think about how they're going to market for people. And it's okay to let people leave if that's your model. You just you, you can't kid yourself about how you're competing. You have to think about it. I agree, Adam. I agree with that 100%. If you can find people a way to finance their true dream, their real why, and get let the automobile business be that, and you said two years. You know, if, if I get a rock star in two years and he, she or he is making me, you know, three or $400,000 a year in gross profit and they're using that to finance their real Matt's wide. ready to throw his water at me, I yeah. feel like. I think Matt agrees with you. but Yeah, I totally do. You know, it, it, it's like, okay, leave. <laughs> Those customers are still mine. Well, look, the, the people are going to leave. Right. Like, okay, Paul, let, let's be can okay. we just, before you change to that, we have to just answer, like, just honestly say this. Number one, nobody in their right fucking mind has a 30-car person like, I'm so glad I trained you to be good. Best switches across the street, Bob. You're, you're lying to yourself yeah, well, right now. Street. Or down the road or four <laughs> states away. It, like Dave mentioned earlier, if someone's that good, you, you will do everything to keep them. That being said, not everybody we hire should have a path that puts them beyond sales. I totally agree. We, when, when we say we have to have a career path for them, we have to be honest when we hire them and say, the path I have for you is to stay in this role <laughs> and continue to get better, right. and you'll make more money. But if you, you, the moment you interview, true or false, you interview people as leaders or as salespeople? Salespeople. But if you're interviewing someone for a leadership position, oh. when you interview a salesperson, oh, no, you're not looking to go, okay, I'm going to hire as a salesperson, with the hopes of being a leader. Oh, no, no, no. I want, I want leaders. And, 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 yeah. So and they got to bring me a 100-day plan. Yeah, so <laughs> here's the deal. Like, I do agree that you're going to have some people that you see they develop leadership stuff. They become someone who could be a great leader, and you have to love them enough to let them go and help them get what they need to do. <clears throat> but we, we can't act like it's part of the career path for everyone because it's not. And we have to stop bastardizing the sales job. To act like it's your stepping stone. For God's sake, there are great salespeople that are commissioned making a great living. There are great salespeople that have a base salary and volume bonus that make a great living. But we have to, in this industry, stop acting like sales is where you start and one day you have the hope of getting a real job that people think matters. That's the real job. Many Mike Davenport, I guarantee, makes more than most of the people above him at his store. I can tell you there are a lot of salespeople like that. It's not the stepping stone. That for many people, that's the top of the mountain. Well, and then we that, should that, respect that. That's your business model. I want to hire right. salespeople and keep them forever. No. That, that's, you know what if I, I recognize a leader, I want to help them. Right. But I'm saying you can't bring somebody in on a pipe dream. And you have to know that, like you say, say your salespeople or your staff is your, is your most valuable commodity. Let's not pretend we're okay with them. If your business model is, I'm okay with a lot of turnover, as long as people are happy, 
congratulations. I'll give you Aaron no, Ziegler's number. I He's going to buy your fucking here, store because so it'll you're, go under. Yeah, but you're trying to find the people that want to be career salespeople. And I don't know at 22 years old that you know you want to be a career salesperson. Enterprise Rent a Car is the number one recruiter of college graduates. They can attract some of the best people, some of the best people coming out of college. I'm not talking about the smartest. I'm talking about the most talented athletes, people who have financed their own education. And they do that because it's a management training program. Their whole pitch is we will give you the fundamental tools to be successful in your career. We'll teach you sales. We'll teach you operations. We'll teach you business management. We'll teach you how to read a P&L. Those are the types of skills that propel you forward. And maybe you identify that sales is where you want to be. And so you go into enterprise leasing or you go into enterprise car sales. There's other avenues for you to go, but I think you're really limiting your, your pool of candidates if you say sales is, is, is where it's at. Because I, I can tell you right now, I wouldn't have been attracted to that. I'm somebody who came out of the enterprise rental car program, and I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have even considered it if it were just blatantly sales. And I'm somebody who loves selling. I, I found out that about myself later on, but I wouldn't have been attracted to that right out of the gate. So, hey, so guys, we, we have to wrap the panel up, but um, I'm going to give you guys all closing, closing comments to say whatever you want to say. But I want to tell you guys at 6 o'clock tonight, do your cocktail hour here. Um, we have a social selling panel like this. Uh, we have a couple of dealers, a couple of owners on the panel as well, and that's going to be good. And, I'm, and so at 6 o'clock tonight during the cocktail hour, we'll be doing this again. But I'm going to start with um, – actually, I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to wait for you. I'm going to give um, Matt – I'm going to give Craig – the closing words here. I'm trying to figure it out here. So, we, C- Craig, you start us off. Give us your closing comments, man. Leave the audience with your closing comments, and then we'll go to Candace, Matt, and then Adam. Sure. Uh, first of all, thanks. Uh, Honor to be asked to be able to do this. Uh, I, in my opinion, I think retention of any employee starts with the initial recruiting and the building of that relationship. Any relationship, a marriage. If you get married for the wrong reason, the wrong time, because you got pressure from your family, or the sex was good, or whatever, uh, all the counseling in the world is not going to save that marriage, right or wrong, right? So it's the same with an employee. You got to be intentional and why you hired that person, the right time for the right reasons, and you have a better opportunity to retain that person, that that woman or man, in my opinion. Thanks again so much for oh, thank you, Craig. Me. Craig Locker. Tell us, tell tell everybody where you're from, man. Who you're uh, Craig Locker. I own Automax Recruiting and Training, uh, and we're everywhere on social media. So just uh, and our booth is over that way somewhere. So stop by and say hello. I'd love to be able to meet you. Thank you very much, Craig. I'm gonna go to Candice Crane. Uh, again, like Craig, thank you for allowing me to participate. I'm a human capital strategist. I used to be a head of HR for a dealer group in Minnesota. I'm a consultant. I'm very passionate about everything related to human capital strategy, including um, organizational design and structure, which is something that I've spent a lot of time with my clients on recently. And you can find me on Twitter at Crane Auto HR. Outstanding. Outstanding. Matt Keenick, give us your closing. Hi, Dave. Hey. Uh, I think there's, whole, well, there's a couple of things that I actually learned. One, Craig said you're not supposed to get married if the sex is good. So those of you in Vegas, there are a lot of chapels. If you have a fun night, don't do it. Good, good one. Um, I think what Dave said earlier was probably the most powerful thing to me, and that is something that we firmly believe in our company. If you have great people, you do whatever it takes to keep them. Whether you bring them in and, and your strategy is, we're going to bring you in, teach you everything, and see what fits, or you're saying right now what we need are salespeople, so that's all we want. At the end of the day, sometimes we have to peel it all back and just go get to know someone and go, I just want to hire people that I know I'm going to care about and they're going to care about being part of something. 
and we have to compensate them well enough because culture alone won't pay their mortgage. But I can tell you this, in our company, every single person that works there is either a close friend or a family member. We, won't, we don't post help wanted ads. We don't hire strangers. I don't want them. And some may say, well, that's bad because someone down the street's a great athlete that could do backflips and be a manager. Great, fuck him. He can get hired by the competitor. But everybody that works for me knows that I'll die on a sword for them. And I know they'll do the same. So if you can't go back to your store and say every one of the people on my team would, would go to battle and die for me, then you don't know how to bring a team together. And how you can find me? Well, I'll be with Chris and Josh by the keynote entrance, the BDA Spanish booth, Spanish websites and classified for car dealers, the only ones that do it right. Or you can just go to mattkanig.com and it connects you to everything I do. Awesome. And we get the last word to Adam Robinson. Yeah, great. Uh, briefly, thank you uh, thank for you. having me on. I think what I'm most excited about is we're all using different words to agree, uh, basically, Some on the fact that it's, it's time to uh, focus on the people's side of the car business. It's important. It's the next frontier of profitability and competitive advantage. I think it's great. Amen. Um, and we're just on the front edge of it. I think it's uh, fantastic. So um, I'm just glad we're up here talking about it. Yes. Um, that's great. Um, if you want to talk more about it uh, with me, Hierology uh, is our company. We're a few steps right behind you. And uh, you can find us on Twitter at Hierology. That Thanks. means, by the way, I know this because I know what ology means, the art and science of hiring. Correct. Correct. Ding. The art and science of hiring. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty, pretty snazzy. Snazzy. Frank Lopes, man. I'm gonna give you the final. I'm actually gonna give you the final word. Oh, Go ahead. You, you close us out. Thank, thank you. you, by the way. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on and giving me this honor to do this with you. I think the best part about this whole topic is this: the fact that we're talking about it. That's really the most important thing: is that we're all no completely question. aware of the fact that people are the core of our business. You know, we've been said so many times before that cars don't sell themselves, buildings don't sell themselves, franchises don't sell themselves, people sell. So the more awareness that we can put towards this topic, the better it's going to be for everybody that's in this building right now. Everyone from top to bottom. Well, you heard it here. Let's give it up for these panelists. And uh, remember, 6 o'clock, guys. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Frank. And we're out. You. Tommy, we're live. Good day, everyone. What up, y'all? It's Tommy, yo. Well, back with another edition of Slash Tags. It was, this week was Digital Dealer, and we, uh, we'll have some more Digital Dealer uh, hashtags and Slash Tags for you next week, but this was just some of the ones that came out this week. Let's get to the business, shall we? Let's. At Arnold Tiarina, will Tommy will do that ninja slash seizure thing during this week's slash tags? You may believe it! Black Cougar! <laughs> Patrick O'Brien, at Politics ATL, we need a vote between who wears the beard better. Tommy Elwell, myself, or Travis Lindenboyer. Come on, for real. Look at this. It's like, it's like, uh, it's like, uh, 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 Abe Lincoln came back in my beard. Really? Come on, you know the winner. Uh, Mr. Ed Brooks, I understand that Curtis Snyder winning, but how did CJ Romick beat me? That bastard. And finally, the very final slash tag was from our own Auto Dealer Live. Look who got a hat. Look who got a hat indeed. Hey Lou, 
Come here real quick. Just the good guy hat. Did he get a hat? I, I didn't. I, I didn't give him. Ezra, did you give him a hat? I didn't give him a hat. You didn't know. Uh, who authorized this man to get a hat? I'm almost. I, I, I know you're in charge of that. I'm in charge of the hat. The other. You sure you didn't send me a text message? Hold on, let me get the check. I didn't send you a text message because I wouldn't authorize. That's why. I didn't get that text message either. I mean, I'm not. I don't know what happened. Maybe. Tommy. Tommy. You just can't walk off. Tommy. Tommy! So there it is, ladies and gentlemen. Fantastic. I'm so glad I showed up today. Aren't you? Hashtag auto dealer live. Hashtag slash tags. We'll get you on the show next week. I want more, guys. I want more. Bring it to me. All right? Follow your dreams. Don't cross the street without looking both ways. And I'll see you next week. Until then, good night and God bless you. For gathering around into summer getting drinks we want to invite you over for our social selling panel and uh, here's why we have some great people on this panel we have matt raymond subi gauche paul sansone jr and josh mitchell and i'm joined by co-host here man from uh, what next what's next media and uh thank you man andrew myers no i'm saving my voice for the one smart thing i'm gonna say <laughs> wait for it wait for it all right so we're gonna talk about social selling so we're gonna get right to it and i'm gonna start with josh mitchell Here's the, here's the deal, man. Dealers, when they hear social selling, what are they thinking about? Because I think that, you know, even, even discussing this panel, you know, what are we going to start with? We only have 30 minutes or so. And, you know, what are we going to talk about? What's in, what does it encompass? And I think it's so broad. Let's help bring... I knocked my own self over. <laughs> hey, let's, let's help bring this thing into more of a scope, you know? So start us off, man, and, 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 and set the tone for this panel and tell us what we need to talk about tonight when it comes to social selling. Well, I think most dealers freak out when they hear social selling. And, you know, you have to start thinking about building, building your brand. And I think that's the biggest thing is starting to build your brand as a dealership and what you're about in your story. You know, we, we like to sell cars. It's obviously the end goal. But what's your story? What makes you different than anybody else? And I think that's one thing we need to really, really start thinking about is what's your story? What's your dealership about? And what makes it different than any other dealership on that, that you're competing against. Okay. I'm going to get that same question over here. Who wants to take that at Subi's table? I will. All right. I think that <laughs> we've gone past the point of bringing it up as something that we should be doing. And <laughs> let's, I'm tired of talking about the basics. I think we're at the point where dealers are starting to recognize or at least know wholeheartedly that this is something they need to embrace, whether it be you do it as a dealership and embrace social selling and get everyone involved and have a personality of your dealership and, and get it out, or you find a, cute, a few key people who are willing to embrace it and then empower them to sell to your community. But one way or another, or another, we've gotten to the point where this is it, this is something we have to do. It's not just something we should talk about on the basic level anymore. Here, this panel, I want to talk about the details, the nitty gritty. Let's, let's skip the basics. Air it out. Are you ready for that one smart thing yet, Andrew? No. Okay. So <laughs> let me ask this, man. Let me throw this out there. We're talking about social selling, so let's do this. The word that you guys care about in that two words, right, is selling. I don't think you, it, you know, it, it like, you know, carrier pigeon selling, you know, <laughs> horse, and, horse and buggy selling, right? Social selling. So let me yeah. put a little tone on this. I think it has to be about personality. So okay. that's more for you guys to, to take and run with. But I focus on the social part because the customer is not that excited about the selling part. Right. Hmm. 
So it's really more important that you have a personality that you're trying to broadcast. Subi, you kind of said something about, you know, you want to broadcast your dealership's personality. I know a lot of people are thinking, I need to work on my dealership's personality, right? So that's the hook, right? You have to, you have, to have a brand to be social with, so that has to be at least part of the focus. Mm. Matt Raymond, what if your personality sucks? What, your dealership's personality. Like, in other words, you just said it, man. So, so your dealership's personality. But what if you put out a personality that is, like, really bad? You know what I'm saying? But, but it's now, it's, now it's viral. But it's out there now. Like, if you, if you go and look at a lot of different dealerships' social strategy, per se, you can see their personality kind of sucks because it's all cookie-gutter content that gets posted up there. And... And I can go to, you know, two or three different Facebook pages all across the country and kind of read the same content, you know, and shame on the dealers for not having somebody engaged in it and involved in it. Um, we do a video every month of our employee of the month, and that's the, the number one thing that takes off with our store is an employee of the month video. It's so simply put together. It takes five minutes of our time, and, you know, and the customers love it. They, you know, I mean, it's three, four thousand views. Right. So, okay, so, so just so you know, we got an internet director, a BDC manager, and then, of course, a dealer principal, Paul, on the stage as well as auto experts. Um, but we're not bashing dealers. You guys are on the blacktop. So, I mean, what do you think about this? Well, to some level, I, I, I was late to the game, too. I instinctively never felt that um, social media sold cars originally. When they started telling us that you had needed your dealership likes to your dealership, I just gut feel felt that people don't really want to like my dealership, but they want to like Paul who works at my dealership. So I took a different approach and I've actually brought the social selling down to the next level through my salesman, through the empowering empowerment, the encouragement and everything else. And I'm, letting, and I'm letting their personalities shine to the audience that they're comfortable with. So to me, that's been the most powerful thing for them as an employee, but also for me as a dealership. Yeah, I think it makes your dealership a human being instead of just a dealership. Absolutely. And I'm not saying we don't do any social selling at the dealership level. We do. My wife's the brand for the dealership. She does our commercials. But there's... She better looking than you are. Is that why? <laughs> significantly. Okay, significantly. Okay. <laughs> but um, but the, real, the real connection and the real car selling is coming at the salesman's level. I uh, think when you were probably weighing that out was back when people were saying the internet doesn't sell cars, four or five years ago. So absolutely. quickly to dispel that myth, it's true, the internet doesn't sell cars, it's a tool for you to sell cars with. It doesn't call your customers for you, but it doesn't mean that you can't sell cars online. Yeah, I mean, if you really think about it, when a green pea walked in, we would give them, you know, here's a manual, learn how to sell, and then we'd say, I don't know, if you don't have a book of business, pick up the yellow pages and call. We have a method of connecting with people that we've never met before in our community to convince them that we are decent human beings willing to do business the right way at their fingertips. Mm -hmm. And so many dealerships still block Facebook from their showrooms. I mean, you can use it to sell cars, but only if you empower your sales team to do it. Obviously, I'm a huge, huge fan of a good social media policy, but once you have that, empower them to do it. It's one of the best tools out there right now. The beauty of it is you may not like what they're saying to their friends, but they're, they're their friends, so they obviously like yeah. what they're saying. Yeah. So they're connecting on a level that may be something that you're uncomfortable with, but it's the level that they're comfortable yeah. with. So it's, it's just that absolute connection that makes it, makes it work. But going back to what Subi said, you said something about a policy, like a social media policy. Yeah. 
what would you like? Can you explain a little bit more? Do you think that because yes, we don't I we can. don't have one in our <laughs> store, and but our the guys that are the guys and the girls that are branding themselves at our store right now, you know, they're looking to some of these people that have been speaking right, here, as, right. you know, as industry leaders, and and so they're following that, and they're they're not doing like douchebag moves to like you know be dumb about it. That they're, would have been banned on the uh, social yeah. platform, just to give you the uh, heads up. That <laughs> one was I, I, I forgot I was sitting in Matt's yeah. seat. So you yeah. wouldn't say, ball, like, out, don't be so. a douchebag, come down to Sansone Kia. You wouldn't say oh, that. No. Okay, <laughs> that has a nice ring to it. All right. But, but you know, like, where, That's a where brand does the policy go, and then where does the policy stop so that yeah. so they can still be expressive yeah. to who they are? So I believe that a social media policy shouldn't be so restrictive, but my, if you look at my social media policy as just an individual you might get scared, but essentially half of it is teaching them what is and isn't acceptable by normal people looking at it. What you should do, what you shouldn't do. Don't just post a link that you haven't read every word because the title might be different from the actual content. If you pull it from some automaker's magazine, just because they say Toyota is this and it seems like it's um, a positive thing, it could be going to bash your make. So read things. So a lot of it is educational with rules that tell them what they should and shouldn't be doing on social media. Some of it's common sense, letting them know that you have to use common sense when you're interacting with people, especially with religious, political, those kinds of statements. You can still have your opinions. No one's trying to censor you, but there is a right and a wrong way to present yourself if you want to be tagged as an employee of this dealership. If you want to do it on your own and not tag yourself, you are welcome to do that. You don't have to follow the same policy as the people that want to be advocates of this business. But if you do, there's a set of rules and regulations. So it's not to limit people, it's to empower them. And the only reason I came up with a social media policy was because I had some really bad experiences with the team that I was managing. Um, and then I had a, a dealer friend of mine who they had people in their community contact them saying this person is tagged as work working for you and they're saying all these horrible things in the community and I will not do business with you anymore. How many people will not pick up the phone or an email to tell you that they don't want to do business with you because of something your employee said? So I believe in social media policy. It doesn't have to be super restrictive, but it needs to be there. Mm -hmm. One thing I see when I, <clears throat> when I go on Facebook a lot is that there's a, a I don't think people really understand what other people are trying to consume. So you have to make things that are actually edible to the people that you want to sell to. And I think the North Star has to be that focus on telling stories. Yeah. That's the thing, right? And there's a way to tell the same event, like if I was posting about my daughter's birthday, in a way that's not story mode. It doesn't have a, a, a 3X structure. You know, there's not, there's not a story behind it. It's just a quip. People don't want to consume little bits of information that you find relevant. It's what they find relevant. Uh, so it's, I, I see a lot of people doing like what you're saying. They, they stay in the guidelines well, but they don't get enough done because yeah. you don't find out enough about them. Right. So you have to dance that line. You can't just adhere to it. And it's important that you, you're telling a story. You're giving people buy-in. I get more engagement on the posts where I put up a goal. And I see other people, too. We were talking about this earlier. I learn everything I know about social media from looking at my social media. I don't have to go to a class. I can tell the people who I'm responding to myself, and I'm trying to mimic those people. Yeah. And, and that's the difference is you, you have to create content or pictures or whatever it is that people are going to find relevant. You can't, like, again, you focus on the, the selling and not the social, and you're just an ad. So uh, there has to be emotional buy-in. And when you, when you, I see people make a goal, I want to do 30 cars this month, and they admit that they only got 26, they get more on that. Yeah. 
That's not a bad thing. People are now invested in their success. Being social on social media, what a novel idea. Well, let me throw this out there to to Josh, Josh Mitchell, and and let Matt kind of weigh in on it as well. So that brings up the, the topic, you know, um, what do I say? Okay, I have, I have, you know, I'm on, I'm on social media. You know, I've got a following. I'm starting to build. You know, because obviously, you know, people will friend you, and you know, that's not a hard thing. So, do I use video? You know, what if I'm not good at video? What if I don't think I'm good at video? You know, it, it, you know, there's there's statistics to say image is going to get you know more looks obviously than than just text. What, where do you start, man? So you're 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 selling cars. You're trying to get started on this thing. You're not. You, you know, you're looking at somebody as a, maybe a mentor, and there are and, and maybe you can't relate. You know, because they're blowing up like, you know, like Laura Madison did, you know, a couple of years ago. And, and uh, so, some, of the, some of the ones that maybe set the tone. I mean, I think you have to be you. And, and the, you know, right. video is, is killer right now. Video is, is, is it's, it, it's here. And I think video, if you're not good at it, just practice. You weren't good at selling cars on the first day. <laughs> yeah, right. And so you have to practice and practice and practice and realize that, yeah, you may not be the prettiest guy. But your customers are going to understand that you're a human being and you're there and you're giving them information. And so, you know, video is a huge thing right now that is, it's, it's important in my book. It's important in my dealership. And, you know, yeah, we've got a guy, he sells 60 cars a month. You put him in front of a camera and he freezes. And it's so awkward. But I was like, look, think of the camera as a person. That's what it is. It's just a person. And so when you think of a camera that way, then he starts to loosen up and it makes it, it flows better. So the reason that video works, and this is my full, you know, this is my day job, and it's, <laughs> I can dispel the mystery for you guys right now. 85 or somewhere in there, percent of communication is based on voice inflection, tone of voice, body language. You can't put a just, you know, excited pair of eyebrows in an email. You can't, you can't <laughs> convey sense of urgency if it's not also conveyed on your face and in your voice and in all these other areas. So the video is not what sells people. You sell that person. The video allows them to see you and to be emotionally invested in what you're saying. Your closers, like you said, you weren't that good on the first day. It's because you weren't that good at body language on your first day. Yeah. You were so worried about what you were saying that you weren't selling. And that's the difference. And that's the difference between an email and a video. Uh, we're going to give, hey, you know what? I see a couple people in the audience. So here's what we're going to do. Andrew and I are going to get up. I'm going to get up for my own show. I'm going to leave you guys here. I'm going to have Bobby. Bobby Herring's going to come take my spot. Jason Rice, come up and take Andrew's. And you guys just keep this conversation going. So one of the tricks that I tell um, salespeople who are nervous to do it is you don't have to have it on the selfie mode the whole time. Yeah. You can actually just start out by using your voice and allowing to, like, educate on the car or Bluetooth or something. The more they do that and they're not in front of the camera, they get comfortable with comfortable it. They get, and then yes. eventually they graduate to being in front of the camera. But people will still relate to just a voice. Mm-hmm. I just try to keep it simple. I tell my guys, uh, everyone wants a friend in the car business. Just be their friend in the car business. Uh, the first salesman that most enthusiastically got on the video train was all about buy from me now. He was so abrasive, he actually got no... He was the most enthusiastic to do it, but got no traction on it at all. So I told him, you just got to tone it down. Just be yourself. Don't try to be somebody you're not going to be and build this video brand. But but just be their friend in the car business. Not everything has to be about buying a car today or the deal today. 
could be more informative about, hey, just letting you know that there's an extra $1,000 incentive for the weekend, have a happy weekend, whatever. Just make it more informative and be their friend in the business is yeah. a more uh, comfortable approach for me, for my guys. Don't you think it's funny how we always say that, though? We say, just be yourself, and then we're like, don't do that shit. <laughs> right? yeah. We're so hypocritical. Unless you yeah. suck, then don't be yourself. Right, then don't yeah. be you. Like, take a poll on your Facebook and decide <laughs> if you suck that way, right? So what do you guys think about uh, one of the biggest things I've heard today when it comes to social selling? And, and I'm not a fan of even calling it that, right? 92% of peer recommendation turns into an opportunity, and that's what we're supposed to be using social for. Absolutely. Right? So everybody has asked me today, what are the keys, right? What are the takeaways? How do I do it? And, and yet we're up here and we say, well, just do it, right? Yeah. So uh, one of the things that I know that we've done that's worked really well is we do a day, one day, have one person in the dealership be the receptionist, whoever it is make a content calendar for birthdays and anniversaries. Then that person goes around that day with a cute little chalkboard and everybody smiles and looks pretty and then they post it and it's scheduled content to go out, right? And so all you're trying to do with social is exposure. You're just trying to get their audience to want to pay attention to you too. And who likes anything more than their friend being posted for their birthday? We're compelled to like it, right? Are you guys doing anything like that in your stores? We are not right now. We are starting the, the employee of the month and kind of putting a video together for YouTube and trying to just make us human beings at the dealership. Right. Yeah, right. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. What about you, Sui? Yeah. So the only thing that I would say about scheduling content is as long as it's organic, like a mm-hmm. birthday or an anniversary, mm-hmm. yes, do that. But don't go to the extreme of like every Thursday you do a thir- throwback Thursday. That's so... Right. You know, 2002. Right. <laughs> Hashtag. But pretty That's much the new black. when it becomes expected, it's, it loses its value. Absolutely. So some of the things that we do, like one of my, um, one of the guys on my team, on my social team, did this for a client. And all he did was look at local things. So local works really well. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Like right. Any, all you have to do is post things. I know it sounds really simple, but you have to make it related to the dealership. If you just talk about the Kardashians and one of them hasn't purchased a car from you, people will start to detract from what the purpose of the page is, whether it be an individual or a business. So one of the things was he took a picture of a drive-in theater, put a black and white image on it because it's been around forever and said, did you know that these shows are showing this weekend? And that thing got shared like hundreds mm-hmm. of times. Yep. And that yeah. exposure organically was in the mm. tens of thousands. And do you know why that is? Why that exposure happened that way? It's because, uh, or in my opinion, what I've seen in success stories is if I sold you a car yesterday, you probably don't want to see that I have a 199 payment on the next car, right? Because that's not relevant to you. (laughs) That's why people post like puppies and unicorns and shit and that everybody's like, what does that have to do with anything? Because people share it and they like it. So I can start throwing four letter words out here? Yeah, Uh, you're allowed to. Yeah, well, they brought me on and they know I swear. I was really trying to (laughs) cut it down. No, I'll get you whatever you need. You use your favorite word, Del. All right. Just don't put it on Facebook while you're selling. Well, the the biggest thing for me, uh, again, I think the dealerships... I'm looking at it in a different perspective. The dealership has a brand image and everything else, and I think unless uh, you, we have a, a charitable thing that we do, it's called Hope for a Ride, uh, where we give away cars to some families sure. in needs, but we work through the churches. Through me, that is social selling on steroids. Besides being a great thing to do, it's, sure. that is the stuff that at a dealership level sure. organically spreads. And there's so many dealers out there that actually do so many great things for the community mm-hmm. and that don't they, don't even, they don't even talk about. Those are the things that I feel are, are very important for a dealership to shout about. Mm-hmm. Again, I like bringing it down to the salesman's level and bringing it 
to another personal uh, you know, well, adventure between the salesman audience, and the right? customer. I think that's where the real selling, the one-on-one selling comes in is, yeah. is really through the salesman. Now, I'm think, a, oh, go ahead. No, well, I was you going to talk, Chad. Well, I'm a big inventory guy, and I, and I, I push you know, exposure and inventory. And I know it's ta- taboo to you know, push inventory out because we're not trying to sell something, but we're talking about telling stories you know, and doing videos. And, and the, the biggest challenge to dealers a lot of times when they're trying to justify pricing and stuff on cars is, well, you don't understand. I do this much recon. I do this. You know, tell those stories on the cars. Talk about the recent trade-in and who used to own it and, and build stories around the cars, not just throw up a car with a price, yeah. but actually, you know, Absolutely. talk about that trade, talk about the recon that you did, talk about that new feature, how sync works, and just do quick videos, let your sales staff do it. That gives them a little bit of face time. Yeah, the how-to videos are, are great because, yeah. you know, you know, the how-to set up my Bluetooth, how to yep. set up my Apple CarPlay. You know, we, we lose that. We don't think about it, but yeah. those are things that people Google. Yeah, we have. Well, getting your floor it, yeah. involved. Get your yes. floor involved because what I, when my key thing on my floors was anything that gets a bunch of you talking, I want to hear about. Yes. We right. had a trade that had four different colored doors on it. We had all the, like, and the really cool antique right. trades. There's always something that we that gets us talking that our community is going to respond well to. Well, and if you do stuff like if you if you're having a problem with getting salespeople to make videos and put content on Facebook, do things like have a contest for the biggest trunk and what can you fit in it? Because you'll get the silly character yeah. that'll do the do the climb <laughs> through and like shut himself in and have a whole video, and people think that's funny. Right, but if it's just if all you're sharing is related to your business, nobody's gonna follow you. Yeah. I follow DSW because I have a really big thing for shoes. Only I don't care about no their manufacturer way. or the seventy mm-hmm. pairs that yes. they post, but I do care about how it relates to me. And our customers do the same thing. Our social is not for selling. Yeah. Let me just put that out there. Social is for peer recommendation and exposure. That's it. Once you start trying to sell on social, I'm you change the you. method of the channel. Mm-hmm. I'm going to disagree with you. Yeah, well, all right. Oh, let's yeah. talk about it soon. Cool. I have Back done it up. It. I have done it, and we continue to do it. Yeah. If you get the buy-in of your community and you put the interesting, relevant, sure. necessary information out there that gets them sure. responding to you, what happens is on that fun trade, mm-hmm. it's not just about putting the content out there. That's my big thing that I want you guys to take away. It's not just about putting the content out there. It's about stimulating conversation with your community. Because when you put those interesting trades, or when you put the, so sales messages, I believe that 10% of the time, don't hold me to that number, but put those kinds of sales messages out there. Sure. You always want to remi- remind that audience of what you're trying to do. Yeah. But, but as you put that stuff on there and you're communicating with them through those comments, we, the number of times we get hot leads and set appointments mm-hmm. through those comments and interactions with those But those that's people, not selling, that's communicating. You communicated and built a relationship real quick. You dropped the wall. This shit is like dating. Well, it's a combination, people. though. You gotta it's have, the same thing. You gotta have all the social stuff that you've done, the, the sure. character building, and then throw in that right. stuff. You it's can't the strategy. just sell, for me, sell, 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 right? Sell. For the way I define it is, I'm either selling myself, I am selling my business, or I'm selling my car on social media. Sure. Because that the moment sure, yeah. that that person's interest is peaked. That's right. when the sales process starts in my book. Yeah. Right. And that's that communication. That's the wall coming down. That's like you're dating. This is yeah. the big thing with it, right? It's so like you're dating. Knock the wall down. Let's get past that part. And then we can all have a conversation. So Let's a, right swipe that. A quick uh, sidebar. You guys are talking about finding localized content. Google alerts. 
So oh, I'm sure yeah. you guys know all about that, oh, but yeah. other people might oh, yeah. not. Yeah, yeah that's local yeah. events, Ford mm -hmm. events, sure. truck events, four yeah. by four events, dog events. You whatever know. you think your people will digest, Google will tell it to you. Yeah. And you just press share. Yeah, the sure biggest problem yeah. with social, though, isn't that it's a knowing problem. It's that it's a doing problem, mm -hmm. right? We all know that we need to be doing it, but how many of us are admin pages? Well, admin that's what I like. I, you know, I use I use the Google alerts a lot just for the topics. You know, Ford, Chevy, and not a lot of work because you just read the headline, you click on, and go, oh, that's nice, and there's a share button right there, and as long as you're logged in your Facebook, you share that real quick. You can throw comments yeah. and just so, yeah, make a lot sure of to work, read the but stuff like thing. the Google alerts makes yeah. it so much easier for you to be able to do stuff like it's that. It's a 60-20-20. 60% of what you should be putting out there should be community involvement, active stuff with your employees, things that are interesting, unicorns. Think unicorns, right? 20% should be brand awareness. Talk about the how-to videos. Talk about the tips that you've got going on. Talk about the trim levels. Talk about new uh, technology. And the other 20% is your advertising that you want to use on there. Mm -hmm. But nobody's going to continue to follow yeah, you if that's I all think, they see. I think you guys have some room for testimonials. I throw in 20% of the yeah. local. That's well, in your, yeah, that's in your 20%. The, that's yeah, your brand okay. awareness. And what the, how many times you've had a customer come in and said, hey, my car got totaled, but it saved my yeah. life, and yeah. I'm here to buy another one? Absolutely. How strong would that message would be? Yeah. Yeah. And sit that customer here's down. The, They'd be willing to do here's that. Here's the too. hard part Stay for right. the dealer buying. It always gets down. The dealer says, what's my return on investment? How many cars did I sell for it? from it and that's where that's where I think finally dealers are getting beyond that and realize the power right. of it is beyond the initial ROI and there right. may need to be some time and investment into a strategy of social media sure. to finally start feeling and seeing results. Right. Well, so it's I think free. the dealer, and it's free, but. It's free. The ROI is super Hey guys, yeah. real, real quick, well, we have a question. It's not, well, it's not, it's not free. It is free. It's well, free it's, unless you pay for an ad. And if you're doing community involvement right. and you're out there getting your algorithm increased and you're posting yes. the sales pictures at the end but of the thing, then it's free. you're also investing somebody who's taking yeah. the time to think out your they're shred. They're on Facebook well, anyways in the bathroom when they're peeing. It doesn't matter. <laughs> they're not investing any more time than they were already doing. You didn't like that comment. Hey guys, real quick, uh, Zach Klimp has a question here. Hey guys, thank you. So I speak at a lot of dealership conferences and what I hear a lot is talk about marketing to millennial consumers, but I don't hear enough talk about millennials at the dealership, millennials as your employees, and I wanted to get your feedback on that. I have. That's a yeah. strong can, topic with this. It is a strong topic. That's a whole other hour. <laughs> can we um, yeah, it is. Auto dealer alive. I, I run a show about that. I run a BDC. I think we do. And I've got nine reps, and they're all except for one millennials. And I'm a millennial myself, barely, but I still am. And I think yeah. you know a lot of people talk about millennials being lazy and and entitled and blah 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 blah. And BS keeps going on. Yeah. But. I think if you really learn and figure out how to actually manage millennials, they're the best employees oh, that yeah. you could ever have because they buy in. But they it's not in. just millennials, right? Yeah. Speaking it's the concept that our culture Speaking as a millennial. Our culture Same. is is broken in so many dealerships and it's yes. not just millennials that are driven away. It's women, it's men who want to spend more time with their families. Money isn't the only driving factor anymore. Work right. life balance time with your family. These are things that are important. And if you embrace those things, you'll attract all of those audiences. Well, and let's talk about tying that into social media. I was recruited on social media. I went on a 12 week marketing campaign for somebody to recruit me after leaving my job last year. <laughs> and my boss, Eric Gale, recruited me on social media and mirrored and mimicked everything I'm doing. And I am a millennial. The last year of it, I do like trophies, but I also like to earn them. So not all of us are 22 and lazy, yes. right? Yeah. That's not yeah. a thing. I would imagine I that helps retain them too because they get to right. work and do that stuff, the social stuff, which 
they well, grew up I'm, with. I am not a millennial. Right. I am not a millennial, but I have sons, <laughs> that kids that are. But the fact of the matter is what I've done with my kids at my dealership, I think, is a great platform to get millennials engaged in the dealership. My uh, first son, uh, I put him in the BDC for 90 days. You know, I, I before he hit the floor, so he learned the technology of the business. He learned how to handle every objection. He learned the product. He learned the CRM. Uh, I have a platform where I provide Facebook and websites for my salesmen to allow mm -hmm. them to build their own business within my dealers within the, the business. And he came out of it li literally almost a 20 car a month salesman and. I've replicated it many times right. and to uh, a 50-year-old gentleman that was midlife career change. But I'm just saying providing dealers have to look at their salesmen as assets and providing them all the assets in today's technologies to allow mm -hmm. them to be, truly be a business within their business. Well, and, and I mean, has anybody else thought of this? But like, uh, if I can't trust you to use social media, you probably shouldn't be on my team. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. If your communication skills are that poor that you don't know what's appropriate and inappropriate. And, and listen, here's the thing. My Facebook, it's not filtered, but if you're my friend on there, you live in a bucket, right? Because it's custom posted. <laughs> if you see some crazy stuff, we're really friends. I didn't filter you, right? Bobby, does that That's mean we're works. best friends? Oh, my uh, God. We are best friends. Did <laughs> you guys we even come close to answering your question? A little. It's a good start. Okay. Yeah. Good start. Hey, let me, let's do this. Give each of you guys, just take your time, you know, three minutes or so to give your closing comments to the audience. And then at the end of that, Tell everybody how they can reach you, where they can find you, okay? So, Matt, we'll start with you, and then we'll go down this way. All right. Um, first, thanks for having me on the show. Matt Raymond uh, came out of the Poconos uh, in Pennsylvania. I work for a dealer group up there. Um, I think one of the big things, and we haven't touched on it yet, we were at Google the other day, and they were talking about now they've labeled everybody as Generation C. And I don't know if anybody else mm -hmm. has heard of that, but it really is just an entire generation, and it doesn't matter millennial or Generation Y or X or whatever you might be. But the fact that everybody wants to be connected now, and it's all through smartphones and computers and tablets and everything else. And so really, it's just about being in front of and engaging with everybody around you. You know, back in the day, they would go down to the local bar and just hang out and talk. Well, now we don't have to do that. You can take a dump and talk to people on the phone. You know, it is what it is. Everybody so, does that for sure. Talk. It's dumb. That's a perfect thing It's true. Thanks, Bobby. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> so, you know, for anybody that's new into the car industry, I would definitely say, you know, work on building your social strategy, and that's just being who you are and being out there in front of everybody you know and letting them know who you are. So we're going to do the next show on who's ever sold a car while in the bathroom. On the that's going to be... Uh, a bunch of liars who will say no, right? <laughs> like, not me. Subi. There are certain details we just don't yeah. need to know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Oh, uh, contact information. Yeah. Oh, yep. Okay. Uh, Matt Raymond. Um, I don't know. You can find me at Halterman's Toyota. All my information's right there. My email address is way too long to give out in this little recording here. Um, or grab me after the show, and I'll give you my cell phone number and one of my business cards. Thanks for the Subi. Yes. Um, so I'm going to start with my contact information because I will definitely forget. Subi Ghosh. You can Google me, Facebook me. You'll find me. Send me a carrier pigeon. Um, uh, on Twitter, it's at Subi101 or at Ask Subi. Uh, and if you want, I'll give you my cell phone number for people who want to talk about business. Uh, <laughs> my husband would not be pleased. Um, no, for social media, I think the most important thing is to be authentic. 
we were talking about personalities and that's something that I have been such a huge fan of talking about. Humanizing your business and identifying the personality of your business organically is important. Do not, as an individual or a business, you're gonna find people and companies that you really like, that are really interesting to you. But don't just try to emulate them, try to be inspired by them because you are organically, as a business or an individual, uniquely you. And if you try to be anyone else, it is so obvious to your audience. And that's when businesses fail on social media. When you try to be something, you can pretend that you're the fun, quirky business because that's what you think works. But when they walk in, if they see guys in just three-piece suits and they're really stuffy, that's still going to play to an audience. But... I'm not talking about you. <laughs> no, I think you're fun and awesome. I told him to lighten it up before he came up here. She told me I need to loosen up before Aww. I got up here. That's no, but that's just it. There's, there is an audience for every single type of personality. But if you are trying to be that fun, quirky personality and they experience something else, guess what that social media is going to do to you? It's going to backfire because they experience something different and all they're going to see you is as a liar instead of the awesome people that you are. And so I would just say be authentic Find people and businesses you want to em inspire you, but don't just emulate them and try to do that because it's obvious and it's old and it will hurt you. Mm -hmm. So just, if you're inspired, go do that and just put your energy into listening on social media and communicating with that audience instead of just putting content out there. It's not about the number of likes you have on your page anymore. It's about the interactions that you can create, the likes, the shares, the comments on the posts. Mm -hmm. Facebook is very quickly going towards a 0% organic reach to your newsfeed. And if you don't engage that audience without any ad spend, you're not going to get any visibility. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would well say. Well said. Good information. Jason, Jason Rice. Uh, it's Jason with an E-N. In case you Google me, I'm on Twitter at, uh, at Lot to Pop Auto. Uh, logo's down there. Also, Autotainment Network. Got the Lot Party Show. Good content on there. Try to do a weekly show there. Uh, Facebook also. You can get a hold of me there. Uh, been in the car business 19 years. Started out selling cars on the internet in 97. So, you know, I, but now I consult dealers and use car inventory management, you know, and uh, inventory marketing. And I think it's, I think it is, you do got to be able to sell online. And I do think we're talking about personalities. Cars have personalities. Again, don't just go, I'm doing a workshop tomorrow on new cars. And to me, it's, it's all about the cars. You know, all this social stuff, all this SEO, SEM, you're there to sell cars, you know, and service cars. And so I do think if you can give the cars a personality, if you get the features and benefit type of talks, the trunk idea, you know, that kind of stuff. I'm all you gotta about have, some silly stuff on social. Yeah, you got to have the good content. But you also got to earn the customer's business. When I was with Internet, you always try to outside the box do things no one else is doing and earn their business through the communication. Same thing on social media. You got you to gotta build up that content but then also you know deliver you're there to sell some stuff and just be creative give those cars personalities every trade's different every new car has new features talk about that stuff get that content out there and i think because um, then you know especially on used cars you're a ford franchise but you're talking about a used toyota i mean you're you're grabbing other market share than just ford buyers too you know so um sure. you know use do your inventory but do it smart Hey, what time is your session tomorrow? 11 o'clock. In the morning? Yeah, I'm the oh, last early. one. Are you I, think, I think two people will be there. Everybody else will be at the airport. So. <laughs> I'll be there. Uh, 116. Tomorrow, there you go. We're Very 116, good. 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. Yeah. Yeah. What, a way, what a way to what a way to close it down, too, man. That's what I, right. You're the closer. Best of the last. Mike right? dropping so best it. Best of the last. Mike dropping it. Yeah. Bobby. Like What's Mother up? I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, so uh, you can reach me on my cell phone. It's 989-672-9945. I don't have a husband monitoring it, but please keep it business. Because I can't keep track of all that stuff all the time. It's too much for me. Don't answer but, while you're on the toilet, though. Yeah, I mean, no, seriously, I don't pee without my phone. Nobody does. You're lying if you say you do. Uh, but you can also hit me up at my booth down here, Zima. It's number 145, uh, with any questions that you have. But... There's a lot with social, right? There's a lot that's happening. And it's easy to tell you that you should be doing. It's not as easy to give you key takeaways for things that you should do. So one of the things that I want to address is, well, two things. One is uh, taking pictures with your customers when they leave, right? Let me just throw this out there for you real quick. What if you just went and spent $1,000 and bought 1,000 selfie sticks from China and put your logo on them? And then when you went out to the car, you had, because I'm telling you what, if you post a picture of me at the wrong angle, I'm pissed. I'm not tagging that for my friends. I don't care if I bought a car. But if you hand me a selfie stick and I take the picture and then you say, hey, could you text me that? Oh my gosh, we really want to post that. And I'm like, that's a good angle. You can post that for sure. And then I post it. If I'm the one who posts it and then I'm tagging you in it and I say to that person, do this as a life event, right? Now I have control of the situation and I go, you keep that selfie stick. You think that people might not keep it, but they they might give it to their teenager who then takes it to the football game, who sits around 50 other parents and sees your logo. That's a better idea than a keychain that I'm going to throw away, I promise you. And they're very inexpensive, right? And that's part of a process that you should already be doing. The other thing is custom posting. I mentioned my Facebook is not filtered, but I'm a personality, so people expect me to come up here and say swear words and do stuff like this, because this is who I am. I'm not right for everybody, but for most, I'm good. But you can post things filtered on your desktop, so everybody lives in a bucket, right? I've got people who are going to be offended when I use four-letter swear words. People who are going to be offended when I, you know, post something that's inappropriate. People who will think it's extra funny when I do this. Every one of you who's on my social media lives in a bucket. And so when I think something would be inappropriate, it's not that I don't want you to see who I am. It's that I have enough respect for you and you should for your clients as well to not do things that will offend you. Right? I like shock value, but I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm a networker. I like relationships. So put people into buckets, put the consumers into them. If you have a consumer who really loves Jesus, you should not be posting things that are, that are religious, right? But if you're going to be that company, make sure you exclude those buckets, right? So that you're not offending people on their own level. You can be you and be authentic and genuine and merchandise the inventory that's on there and do things within your community and use the system that you've got and have your employees do all those things. But ultimately, if you're only doing one step of them, remember, we don't win baseball games with home runs, people. It's base hits that cause conversion, and that's how we win the game. I'm a huge Tigers fan, so all these things, everything we're giving you is free. You can do it right now. And if you're not an admin on your Facebook account, you should be. Uh, And I'll leave you with this. Six years ago, when I decided at my group that had 16 stores that I wanted them to be able to post on social media and everybody said, absolutely not, I looked up a video because I saw this great speaker. His name is Eric Qualman, and he did a video called Social Nomics, and I played it in a sales meeting. That's all I had to do, and everybody was like, whoa, we need social media. You're creating buy-in. Do yourself a favor and YouTube that video. Watch the one from this year. It's three minutes, and let that give you an idea of what you should be doing, and stop listening to just people in our industry on why you should do stuff on social and look outside of automotive because we are five years behind right now. You want to do it right? Start looking at cosmetics. Start looking at shoe companies. Gary They're doing it right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Gary Vaynerchuk. I'm going to leave you on that because I I would drop the mic, but last time I tried, they said How do we get a hold of you? (laughs) Uh, So hit me up at the booth, 145. You can Google me. My Twitter handle is at sign on the line. You can find me on Facebook. I probably will filter you, but that's cool. You'll still like me anyways. I'm likable like that. Um, 
Or I'm always around. Just stop and talk to me. Uh, I'll be at the white party tonight and then a couple parties after as well. Awesome. You can All right. Thank you, Bobby. All Paul right. Well, my slant, again, is a little bit different. You look around this, uh, this show, this show here, and most dealers like myself, my eyes are, get glazed. I get overloaded with information, and it's like just go back to the dealership and business as normal. It's very difficult for a dealer to figure out from the massive vendors that are coming in to figure out who to spend their dollars with. Thousands of choices now, not like it was years ago where it was newspaper, yeah. print, radio, TV. So that's why I'm getting my salesmen involved in marketing themselves and using Absolutely. social media as a way. It's much easier. It's much easier for you to figure out how to market yourself with the right tools and training than mm -hmm. it is for me to try to figure out how to drive leads to my business, go through the BDC, and find their way down to you. It's much more cost-effective. And if you have a showroom of 20 salesmen, is this type of strategy? good for all 20 absolutely not maybe it's mm -hmm. good for four or five but let five grow to seven let five grow to eight and let it let it become a culture so that's what i feel dealerships have to embrace looking at their salesmen as an asset versus a liability giving them the tools and the power to build their own business within their within their dealership and that creates the culture of attracting millennials it creates the culture Subi, I got to tell you, I have a Women Selling Cars to Women program where... Subi, pay attention. Subi, you have to listen to me. I have a Women Selling Cars to Women program. You're not listening to me. She's socializing. I'm sorry, I'm distracted She's by PCG sorry. waving distracted. their sign over and over. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is to get millennials, to get quality employees, to get women to work for you, you need to have a purpose and try mm -hmm. to retain them once they are in, in your showrooms and have a plan mm -hmm. for them. I believe, I believe this social media is definitely a plan... And I believe it's significantly more powerful from the empowering your salesmen to build their business and me benefiting from that than me trying That's to drive awesome. business to them. Hey, you brought up a really good point. You said something I think that I've heard a lot today, which was uh, you're in here doing all this stuff and who should you be talking to and what should you be buying? So I just thought at this moment I would say I'm a consultant and people hire me to tell them that. So feel free to visit me on that one. <laughs> all right. We're going to wrap it up with uh, Josh Mitchell. Yeah, my name's Josh Mitchell. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at AutoDisruptor. And also my YouTube channel is that also. And I do Digital Dealer. I do a vlog for them also every week. Um, but I think I'm going to close with, you know, to, to ask for the business, it's kind of the Gary Vanderchuk idea is that it's the jab, jab, then you throw the right hook to ask for the business. And so if you're not jabbing, if you're not putting content out there that's relevant, you have absolutely no ability to ask for the business. And so, you know, you have to start thinking about it that way. And with, with millennials and, and with women in the, in the dealerships, you have to really start asking yourself, and first off, stop thinking like a dealer. That's one thing. Stop thinking like a dealer. Throw that out and stop thinking about how that is. And... Start really thinking about your customers and how they really want their process and what they really want from you and stop doing that. And, and actually, we'll start doing those things that your customers really want. And so that's about what all I have. That was good. That's awesome. How can we find you? Awesome. Uh, at Autostructor is my Twitter. You can reach me on my cell phone at 859-421-9377 or email me at bdcmanager at dancummins, that's no G, at dot com. All right. What dealership are you with? Dan Cummins Chevrolet. No, I'm so sorry. I just wanted to say I'm, my dealership is Sansone Junior's 66 Auto Mall in Neptune, New Jersey. 
if anyone wants to reach out to me, uh, I'm on Facebook, obviously. I'll be more than happy to share some of the things that I'm doing at my store. Awesome, man. Awesome. And I'm going to let Andrew Myers uh, tell us his last words. And then we're going to give away the bat, so don't go anywhere. We're going to draw for the bat. I'm not sure if the winner is going to be standing here, but someone's going to win it. Okay, so no, I, my, my final thought, I just wanted to recap uh, two things that were already said that I liked and I wanted to expound on just a little bit. Ironically or not, they're both things you said. So like I said in the beginning, first lesson is copy off people who are doing it well, right? I started, Imitation I started is the most sincere form of flattery, thank you. Uh, so the buckets thing, I only wanted to touch on that because Facebook does not call them buckets. So just to be really clear, you guys are all looking for actionable items for takeaways. Go spend, it's like... Depending on how many friends you have, it's hours. And, yeah. and you've probably been keeping up with it, so that's daily maintenance, it comes easy. But at some point, you gotta go through your whole feed, and like I have vendors, I have what Subi's in the vendors group, some of you guys mm -hmm. are, I have clients, I have dealer principals, I have friends, I have family, and you actually can make a post and say, like, this is gonna be nauseous to my family who's kinda tired of hearing about my work. <laughs> and vice versa, I have some family things that are some more controversial things that I don't think everybody wants to see. So mm -hmm. everyone should be doing that. And it's really easy when you ask someone to be a friend, you can actually tell them which group you'd like them to land in if they accept. So you don't have to even go back after they accept and double down on that. Yeah. So that is the, the action item because it allows you to organize your messages, which is in a way what we've all been talking mm -hmm. about this whole time. Mm -hmm. And the second one, you said small ball. So this is the, probably the key takeaway here. Do not try to sell a car online. Sell yes. the next action. So as a staff events guy, our culture was always about saying, hey, listen, if you're a halfway decent sales guy, you should be able to take this up and get them to register and know, know stuff about them. And then if they've done that, you should be able, while you wait on your prize, to be able to get them on the lot. And then once they're on the lot, if you're any good at your job, you should be able to get them in a car. And if you looked at all those steps as little bites, it became a different job. Your, your job was never to try to size up somebody's willingness to buy a car, only their willingness to follow you in the process, right? Mm -hmm. So you take that same thing to social, stop trying to get people to go, damn, that was a good post. Ford Fusion it is. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> Give me a Ford Fusion right now. In, yeah. Pull them into your circle. You know, Get them more likely to set an appointment. Get them more likely to understand your bird dog referral so that mm -hmm. when they hear about it, you might get the money. So don't think of the only goal is selling a car and you're going to find a ton, ton, yep. ton more success. And then how to reach me. Uh, like I said on the last podcast, I'm probably already friends with most of you guys. I uh, like everybody and accept everything. Uh, so check your current <laughs> friends list. That's the easiest way. Uh, and if not, what's next media? You can Google that. All my contact information is on the website. I got three seconds of voice left, so it's good. That's the end. Good job. Good job. Good job. Good job. Awesome. Let's give these guys a hand, man. What a great panel, huh? <laughs>